0: Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. There's things that landed on the cutting room floor that I really regretted, but I also remembered that my dad, Dan Jenkins, always said that the the test of a good story is by what lands on the cutting room floor. So I knew the material was there, and um, I'm, I'm honestly I'm still numb to it, Tony. I can't look at it or read it. I worked on it so hard that I can't see it,
1: you know. It's really good. It, okay, you got me. You got Remnick, You got Israel. <laughs> we think it's great. <laughs> This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. The amount of love for that story is huge on social media. It's been pointed out to me by friends of mine. Yes. Curry Kirkpatrick wrote me the other day, said, give me Sally's number. I mean, you know, th- this is, Curry Kirkpatrick worked with Dan Jenkins for a thousand years at Sports Illustrated. And that's, I, I've told a bunch of people, just read this story. This story's really great. So good for her. Good for her for being on the show, too. Um, let me just read this. This is from Jason Anschutz. I just returned home from an incredible week of golf that could not have happened if not for your show. Here is as much of the story as I think you might read. More than a decade ago, I met loyal little Bobby Gottfried on a trip to Washington, D.C. with a woman to whom I'm related by marriage. Bobby and my wife knew each other from a semester abroad in Australia. If my wife had stayed at Ohio State instead of going, going to Melbourne years before we met, none of the following would have happened. Bobby and I bonded over our shared love of the show, and he eventually invited me to play in an online trivia league where I now compete with some other littles, including the great Ed Butt. Last summer, I scored very well in a one-day quiz about golf courses. Next thing I know, there's an email from Ed in my box. He saw my score. He asked if I was a fan of golf architecture and history. A few emails later, he'd invited me to his home club, the legendary Crystal Downs in northern Michigan. I couldn't believe it. I still can't believe it. We started planning, and Ed went one step further, introducing me to yet another little Chuck Pinter, who invited me to play his home course, the Kingsley Club. So last week, I had to pinch myself on the first tee at both of those extraordinary courses. Chuck drove four hours to host my group at Kingsley, and despite playing with a bad back, he crushed us, memorably chipping in for a birdie (laughs) on number two. We finished up, and Chuck headed right back home. Eight hours of driving to host some folks he'd never met, all because of your show, Littles Helping Littles, indeed. It's amazing. We played the next two days at Crystal Downs with Ed. Michael, how close is
2: that to? So this is where I have to uh, interrupt your story. I've been trying to find a way to get to Crystal Crystal Downs to play with Ed Butt for years now. Uh, Our boys are big fans of a certain book that he shared with us about butts. Uh, (laughs) So this is, uh, my Google Maps would say it's about three and a half hours from where I will be staying next week, which is uh, in the South Haven, below the South Haven covert area.
1: Okay. All right. Uh, Ed was an incredibly gracious host, acting as both our caddy and club historian for two days, even treating us to dinner. We talked like we were old friends, sharing inside jokes from your show and talking about our shared connections. The course lived up to its reputation as well, with spectacular views overlooking Crystal Lake, helping to make up for our inability to putt on some of those challenging <laughs> green complexes on the planet. The experience was unforgettable. Now, if that wasn't one in a million enough for you, what happened next truly was. After leaving Crystal Downs, I drove a half hour south to Arcadia Bluff's, In the pro shop, I asked if there was any way I could play the back nine as a single. Since earlier in the week, my group had been stopped at the turn due to a fog delay that prematurely ended our round. Luckily for me, there was a twosome coming up the eighth hole and I was allowed to join. The other two singles were friendly enough, but on the 17th tee, the question came up. Why are you in Michigan playing golf? Not trying to brag too much. I said, well, a friend invited me out to his club. Oh, yeah, which club? Crystal Downs, whoa, bucket <laughs> yeah. list place. How'd you swing that invite? I paused for a second and I said, this sounds so weird to say out loud, but we listened to the same podcast, the Tony Kornheiser Show. That's when I knew playing Partner yelled out, no way, LeChiserie, is your friend Ed Butt? like, what? All what? right, I'm
2: going to start sharing my flight details. We arrive at Grand Rapids. <laughs>
1: I've been paired with fellow emailer Steve Sigourney from Big Sky, Montana. Laura Little also happens to correspond with Ed on Twitter. We laughed uncontrollably all the way to the clubhouse. The odds had to be far more improbable than a hole-in-one. I've enclosed photos with Chuck and Ed and Steve. I hope you enjoy seeing the connections you and your show have helped make. I can't thank you enough. I can't say thank you enough to Chuck and Ed for extending their invitations to a golf nut all the way out in North Dakota. But I have to thank you as well, Tony. Your show made one of the most memorable weekends of my golfing life possible. Sincerely, Jason Anschutz in Fargo, North Dakota. Connected That's tissue. Just simply. It makes anymore. me
2: so happy to hear people have access to these courses and clubs sharing them and making sure others get to experience them as well. Yes. yes so
1: absolutely. let me talk about golf for a little while. Now we just, just need someone at experience. the Dooms Club a little closer. <laughs> shared experience I had with my son yesterday and with Courtney and with Pete Creedon as we played in the July 4th tournament at Columbia. Let me tell you how I started. We were starting on 18. Now, I was extremely worried about dying yesterday in the heat. And here's why. There were no carts yesterday because of the rain on monday night about 12 hours before yeah. the first rain. wave
2: of the shotgun there was about an inch plus of rain that hit the area yeah, Significant torrential rain. Downfall,
1: significant yes. rain so i understood i felt lousy about it i thought maybe we were in the afternoon group and they'd let carts out but there were going to be no carts so i made a few calls i called or texted two doctors and my trainer helen i got responses from one doctor and helen the other guy was golfing and later said to me, How'd you do? <laughs> and thanks, Chris. And so uh Helen said, I think you'll be all right. You walked last week. I think you'll be fine. Just start hydrating now. This was at seven in the morning. Make sure you have Gatorade and make sure you eat bananas. And I wrote her back, Ha ha ha, I hate bananas. <laughs> yeah, you're not a fan. I don't eat bananas. No. Then I called my friend Peter Lazarus who for many, many, many years was a pediatrician in Fort Worth, Texas, and had been a runner himself. And I sketched out the situation, and he said, Gatorade, just drink a lot of Gatorade. You're going to be fine. You're fine. You'll be fine. You drink a lot of Gatorade. So I made sure, I tried to get Gatorade. I only like the orange Gatorade. I'm not a Gatorade guy, Michael. You've known me your whole life. How many times have you seen me drink Gatorade? Uh, Very rarely. Uh, Not a Gatorade guy. Big orange soda guy. Yeah. So I I only want the orange. When we got to the shack at eight, I said to George, "What I want some orange Gatorade." He says, "I have blue. I have red. I have clear." And you want the original. You don't want that Gatorade Zero. No, I want orange. So, but there was luckily there was an orange, you know, at one of the stands as we went along. So I was okay. I was fine. I I had no problems except. other problems (laughs) i had problems we started on 18 it's a straight ahead long good par four classic par four finisher yeah it's finishing hole biggest green on the course four leaf clover green i can't get four even from the front tees i cannot get there in two it's not possible i hit two shots you know that i hit very well in terms of distance but i could never get there and one of the reasons I could never get there was I hit my first shot into the right-hand fairway trap. Whoops. I was dead. I was dead. I couldn't get out. I was in, Michael, was I in six traps, seven traps? In the I, first seven holes. Yeah. And I couldn't get out of any of them with one shot. And if I got out, I got out one foot. And I'm just Terrible. You know, it was just terrible. Trap after trap after trap. I mean, was, I,
2: your body language was so negative. Oh, <laughs> and really? I've been hearing about this for months. But I don't play golf all that often. It's not that just that you go into the traps. You you're in unplayable positions because you're getting that advantage from the goalies. Right? You're up against the lip. Oh
1: yeah, you can't do. I'm right that. up against the lip, time after time after time after time. Because I hit it hard, it rolls in and rolls all the way. And right then there. every hole, it's like, why don't you just try and pitch that? Go yeah, or I could hit the seven iron. <clears> so I was. It was, I took a seven on the first hole. I was, I went seven, six, six, six. So I am, what is that? Nine over after four. I'm going to trust your math. I'm nine over after four. I'm not helping the team at all. No. I'm nine over after four. I practiced on the range, on mats. You shouldn't practice on mats. They give you a false sense of security. I practiced this one pitching wedge shot from inside of 40 yards. Yeah, the bucket shot. And I hit it great on the range, got out on the course, hit it three different times, stubbed it each time, Oof. each time. Wet Bermuda. It's just awful. Um, and I wasn't, I didn't go nuts. I mean, I, I, I maintained what I thought was a pretty good At attitude. one point you
2: lifted the wedge and you were ready to slam and it I down. It. But and then I you looked around and realized who you're with and you Can't just sort it. of tapped down the divot. Can't do it.
1: <laughs> I just, <laughs> but I also had five pars. And all of my pars count as birdies because I get strokes on every hole. The most er- baffling thing to me, and it sort of became useless, but it was, it was interesting to me. I don't think it was interesting to anybody else because I don't think anybody else kept track. Did you have f- four birdies? Uh, yeah, I, Yeah, I think so. I had four birdies. On each of Michael's birdie holes, someone else in the group who was getting a shot had a par. So it negated... I mean, we you know Michael's birdie, which would have been so useful right, th- didn't didn't count in effect.
2: yeah, but that's that's the point of one of these holiday tournaments where it's a, it's officially a net tournament and in yeah. our our group of four we're only counting one ball and and we could use that whether it's gross or net for this event, but you almost it means, chipped in on one It means that everybody felt part of the game. and so even if everybody you were, helped. even if you were in pocket for the first six holes, you <sighs> still felt like you were engaged.
1: yeah, so it was it was great fun. Now we finished seven under, we did not get a sniff. Of shop credit. Ooh. I guess eight under was, was going to be the last one. And it was my fault we were seven under, even though I did net birdie on 15 and 17, particularly on 15 with a good putt. That was a very nice Good spot. downhill putt. Good read from Jill. But on 16, I screwed up the hole. That's a par three. And I screwed up my chip shot, and I got four. And, you know, and, and we, lost, we lost one on that.
2: Arch is going to be disappointed in me.
1: Uh, that you didn't carry us to victory. Well, he
2: was careering it on the Memorial day tournament. He was six under on his own ball through the, through the seven holes we played. <laughs> yeah. Right. Just amazing. Yeah. He's yeah. still complaining about that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. He got washed off the course. So anyway, so we had what I considered to be a lovely time, even though we didn't, didn't win, didn't get anything. And then I came home and after doing the chores that I have to do, I have not watched television other than sports or an occasional news show, and then just briefly in three years during the entire pandemic. Yeah, it's been some time, hasn't it? I've not watched a single entertainment television show, not one. Haven't done it. Everybody says, why don't you stream this and why don't you stream that? And you get Netflix, don't you? And you get that. You didn't even watch the first season of Succession and got tired of it? That was before the pandemic. All right. No, I haven't watched a thing, not even Kerry Russell not even the, the diplomat, bear, that's which right. Simmons told me, watch The Bear. Oh, season, yeah. season 2 episode 6. Yeah, everybody loves stressful. The So Simmons loves The Bear. Haven't watched the thing. Alternatively, Cocaine Bear, which is a fun movie. With Kerry Russell as well. <laughs> I
2: think she's in that. Based <laughs> yes.
1: on a true story. Maybe. Based. <laughs> Maybe. I did something yesterday. This was appointment viewing for me. I watched The Capital 4th. Oh, which right. Is, which culminates with the fireworks where I have been In my life, and Michael has been in his life downtown to the fireworks, which, if you get the chance to go, is wonderful. We had in my life, I've been in positions of grandeur, right? I went once to the Canadian Embassy, the best place to see, which was great. Great view. I went a few times when my friend Brent Glass was running the Smithsonian the American History Museum oh, right. to the what top. What a great event.
2: You get to tour the museum. They have a, a nice little barbecue up on the roof. Yeah. yeah,
1: I mean, it was that's been great. So I wanted to see it.
2: Unlike going up to the Washington Post where it looked like you are meeting someone undercover in a <laughs> we parking you, lot. Yeah, because
1: you're up on a meeting, roof and, and you could fall yeah. off and you can only see half the fireworks and it was awful. Anyway, anyway. Uh, so I wanted to see that. And they always have lovely entertainment. And they had a few people on last night. They had Renee Fleming, who's a great opera singer. It definitely singer. skewed a little older. Yeah. Yeah, I think it usually does. They had Belinda Carlisle on, whose name I vaguely remember The Go Go's, right? Yeah, she was, I don't know. Yeah. She was fine. She did two sets, like four songs. She was fine. They had Boys to Men, who I think are great. Yeah. You me. know, I loved watching Boys to Men. And their finale act was Chicago. And I thought, okay, this has to end. You know, it's like, what are we doing here? Um, you know that song where the recurring verse is? I think it was the 4th of July. Saturday in the park. Oh. I thought it was the 4th of July. That's why they, you know, oh. so they could sing that song. Sure.
2: The close-ups of them singing, they were very satisfied with themselves.
1: Yeah. I mean, okay. <laughs> and then they had they sang us right into the fireworks and continued to sing during the fireworks, which I thought was nice for the television audience, but bad for them because they couldn't See the fireworks. Yeah. But I think if you play that Mm -hmm. gig in that position, you're like, this is what it's all about. That's what it's... I remember once, before the children were born, I believe, going down there to see the Beach Boys. Oh, yeah. And driving down, because maybe there was a metro, but driving, parking, and going to see the Beach Boys. Um, That's a lovely thing. Like everything else in Washington, it's free. Yes. It's lovely. It's your country. It's just wonderful. So... If you got to see the fireworks, good. If you got to see them on TV, good. If you had a nice fourth, good. We will take a break. When we come back, Jeff Passan will join us. Baseball's half over. Dominic Smith has four home runs and 19 RBI. Baseball's half over. He's a power position hitter. What are we talking about? I'm Tony Kornheiser. There's a band called Stay Outside. This is sent to us by Gary Riggs in South Bend, Indiana, who writes a fellow Little and I are co-producing live concerts in South Bend featuring independent artists similar to that which you feature on your show. I'd like to share with you the music of a band named Stay Outside. They're an indie rock project from the heartland formed by childhood friends Aaron Becker and Garrett Johnston. Quartet writes transparent emotive tunes with expansive anthemic crescendos. That's rock and roll, kids. That's rock and roll. I like roll. that. This is called Overboard. The band is Stay Outside. We will play them again later in the show and happy to do so. They play in Jeff Passant. Before I, you know, talk to anybody on the show, I write down a list of questions. The first question I wrote down yesterday, was, this is the season of Otani, right? And then I found out that Mike Trout broke his wrist So we'll get to the season of Otani, but there's impact on the season of Otani if Mike Trout broke his wrist. What happened?
4: Well, it's not a broken wrist, thankfully. It's the little tiny hamate bone that just screws everything up because it's like like the appendix. It's a completely superfluous bone that does nothing. And uh, you know how guys hold the bat in the big leagues, Tony? A lot of them are like, a pinky down and yes. knobs sort of rest. That that's how you break your hamate bone. It's just a really unlucky thing, and you know guys can be back within a month, but it's that sort of injury that lasts and lingers and saps power and can just be problematic. Um, it also could take more than a month. By the way, you know Jose Canseco missed four months with a hamate bone at one point. So uh, it, it stinks. It just, you know, Mike Trout has found himself uh, in, in this really weird position where year after year he's just having these dumb injuries, uh, if not end, then impact his season. And the impact on the Angels is enormous because even if he's not having a Mike Trout season. He's still one of the best players in baseball, and uh, you know the the effect that this could potentially have on not just the Angels' season, but the course of everything else throughout baseball could be profound. Because if the Angels, with him down, with Anthony Rendon down, with Otani all blistered up now, if the Angels go on a skid, they have to face the idea of trading Shohei Otani before the deadline, and that is something that uh, I think Artie Moreno in particular has just been scoffing at until now, but, man, if the Angels are by, say, Tony, July 28th, not even close to a playoff position, uh, they have to, they have to, have to. It would be criminal for them not to consider doing it just because of what happens if they let Otani go and lose him in free agency
1: which is why every single baseball guest we have the first question is this is the season of Otani right he looms over baseball just in a giant manner what are your we had Richard Justice on the other day and he said look I think he's going to go to the Dodgers the people I talked to think he's going to go to the Dodgers I mean I was talking with Michael this morning before we went on I said to me it makes sense if he goes to stay on the west coast for proximity to Japan but I said nobody mentions the Giants maybe he would go to the Giants what what are you thinking what are you hearing and do you think he actually will leave
4: Tony everyone thinks he's going to go to the Dodgers, which is what makes me so skeptical about it. Um, if you look at the Dodgers under Andrew Friedman, they really don't sign mega deals for free agents. Like that's just not his style. That's not something, you know, the the sort of contract that Otani's going to demand right. is going to be unlike anything we've ever seen in professional sports. Like you know, this is going to be one of those prime contracts for a soccer player where, you know, I think I, I read Lionel Messi's getting somewhere between 55 and 65 million dollars to play for Inter-Miami, that that's going to be like the vicinity of where Otani is, except it's not going to be for a year or two or how however long Messi's planning on playing. Right. This is going to be, for, it's going to be for like a decade. Uh, I mean, it's it's going to be a ridiculous, obscene contract and only a handful, uh, handful of teams can pay that. I, I think your instinct is right, though. I think San Francisco is going to be a player. And I think Seattle's going well, to be a player.
1: Well, they were a player. I player I the San Francisco was a player for Carlos Correa. They're, they're not reluctant to do this. No. And for Aaron Judge, remember. like right. They were
4: pretty confident for Aaron Judge. Um, it, the, you bring up an interesting point with the Angels. And I, I think This is important to remember. Shohei Otani has never been about money. He just hasn't. He makes so much money off the field that the on-field money did not prevent him from coming over at 23 years old, even though the Angels only guaranteed him $2.3 million when he could have waited two more years and gotten 100 times that. Um, The money was not important in arbitration when he could have fought to set new precedents and could have taken the team to a trial and uh, did not do so. What's been important for him is comfort, right? And it's just like when you switch a job. When you go to a new place, it takes a while to get comfortable to learn all of the different people, the personalities, what makes them happy, what angers them. You have to forge dozens of new relationships, and that's a stressful thing for someone in a normal job, and it's an even more stressful thing, I think, for somebody who's trying to do what nobody in Major League Baseball has ever done before. And do it for the fourth consecutive year next year, because what Otani's done in 2021, 22 and 23, uh, it's 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 borderline unfair. Like, it, it really is just how much better he is than everyone else.
1: He is. He's great. He's great at two different things and the skeptics. And there were many, many, many more skeptics than believers at the beginning he's won everybody over. I mean, I just, you know, yeah, I
4: believe, I, I believed, I believed in him as a pitcher and this is me introducing something that's going to make me look extraordinarily stupid. Um, <laughs> but I, I remember the, the first spring that he was over uh, in, in 2018. Um, I was with a bunch of scouts and they were all just talking about how Otani's hitting is not going to work and how if he's going to hit in the big leagues he needs to go down to like double a or triple a and start off there and they believed it because that's what it looked like in spring training his swing was a mess when he came over here and then he goes up to los angeles for the preseason freeway series changes a leg kick to a toe twist and the rest is history like he adjusted on the fly it was incredible and it was like the quickest Mia culpa column I've ever written. Yeah. Like three weeks after I wrote, you know, he's going to have trouble hitting. I started a column and it said, dear Shohei, I'm sorry. So <laughs> he made a believer out of me really quickly.
1: Yeah, I did. It took Wilbon about two years. Wilbon was screaming, <laughs> no, he can't pitch. He's just got to be a hitter. And you go, Mike, look, look at what he does. He's, he's, all right, we get off him because we talk about him all the time. Um, there are two ways to go now, the sort of the surprising teams that are good and the surprising teams that are bad, because I'm a cynic, I'd rather go to the surprising teams that are bad. Padres and Mets, right? Are they the most yep. disappointing teams in baseball? those two?
4: I'd say those two, the Cardinals and the Mariners probably are the Mount Rushmore.
1: Yeah. Why, I mean, who's more disappointing to you? It's so easy to say the Mets are the most disappointing. But I think people forget how much money the Padres have spent, and how the Padres' their arrogance, I believe, was actually even worse than the Mets. What are your thoughts on that?
4: Um, it, it's a hard one because, yeah, the Padres are spending two hundred fifty million dollars this year, but the Mets are spending three hundred fifty million, and mm-hmm. that's not even including taxes. So, the the Mets essentially are spending three fifty Tony to also bring back a pretty similar team to last year and hey when you win 101 games bringing back the same team is uh, not the worst thing in the world but there's been regression there there's been injuries there and there's been disappointing performances so uh, you know that's the, the the one two three combo for a, a bad team
1: well, let me um, but let me ask this and it always to me it always comes down to this you know more about baseball than i do if you were running the mets and you had the opportunity to sign Scherzer and Verlander just for two years. It's not for 10 years. It's just, it, forget the money. It's two years. Would, I would have done it. Would you not have done it?
4: I probably would have done it. But I also know that age is undefeated, man. Right. And that, right. that signing older starters is a really perilous thing more because of the injuries than anything and i know verlander missed the first month but they've they've been relatively healthy otherwise they just haven't been as effective as you would expect of guys who are making 43 million dollars
1: verlander won the Cy young last year how could you walk away from the opportunity to sign you know honestly i i mean i'm in love with scherzer and i'm in love with verlander but and maybe I'm 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 in love with Tom Brady too much, and I think everybody is Tom Brady. But I would have signed them, I, and I don't know who wouldn't have, right?
4: Yeah, uh, I think Verlander's market was probably pretty. Li- I mean, at that price, everyone's yeah, market, it's pretty limited. So there are not a lot of teams that are going to go out there and sign one guy at that rate, let alone two. Um, the, the Padres, though. Their spending this offseason has been a giant mess. Like, Manny Machado signed a $350 million extension, has not been himself, has been banged up. Hugh Darvish signed a $100 million extension, has not been good. Robert Suarez hasn't pitched. Jake Cronenworth has uh, had, by his standard, a really subpar year. Like, I mean for the most part it's been money poorly spent and the Padres for the longest time Tony have been this collection of stars uh you know the longest time like the last five years has been this collection of stars uh but an organization that hasn't had enough depth and that's exactly part of what's hampered them this year but Uh, You still see the individual performances. Fernando Tatis Jr. has been awesome. Juan Soto hasn't been, like, excellent. But just when he's himself, just like an average version of himself, is still one of the most productive players in uh, baseball. Blake Snell over the last month has been the best starting pitcher in the league. Uh, Josh Hader, again, another all-star season as a closer. Like The pieces are all there for them to make a run. Uh, I just don't know if they've got it, and I'm in a division that's really tough with the Diamondbacks, Dodgers, and Giants.
1: Uh, I mean, I root against them because Wilbon roots for them now. <laughs> you know, he just, you know, Wilbon wants them to win, and they are they are a, they got more stars than the Mets. They got stars, yep. you know. Yep. They do, win, and I'm glad they're not winning because Wilbon has decided to stick it to me for liking teams like the Mets and the Dodgers, that he'd go with this team. So anyway, all right, Jeff, pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Jeff. Pleasure's always mine, Tony. Take care, buddy. Jeff Passan. That's lovely. Um, we're halfway through, and we're dominated by Otani. We are. We'll take a break. Ron Cyrek will join us when we return from Pebble Beach, the site of the Women's U.S. Open, which begins tomorrow. I'm Tony Kornheiser.
5: Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky This
1: is the Tony Kornheiser, Show. Tony
5: Kornheiser
1: Show. Once again, this is Stay Outside. This is a straightforward rock and roll band. Yeah. Stay Outside. They're from South Bend, Indiana. Michael, if people like Stay Outside want to send us their original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonyquinizershow.com. And you can go see them, apparently, in South Bend, Indiana. Yeah, yeah that's good. Got a show coming out now. Yeah. yeah, they play in Ron Cyric, And we're going to talk about the U.S. Open, Women's U.S. Open. It starts tomorrow at Pebble Beach. If you know anything about golf, if you like golf at all, There are in this country two iconic courses. And you can tell me there's a third or there's a fourth or there's a fifth, but there are two. If somebody limits you to two, Augusta is one and Pebble Beach is two. Augusta is private. Pebble Beach is public. Pebble Beach is pricey. But if you want to play, you can play. Just be prepared for six and a half hours as everybody takes pictures. But you can play. We've seen it. As long as we've seen Augusta, we've seen Pebble. Any event at Pebble from the Bing Crosby on down is televised. I want you to tell me this. You put the Women's U.S. Open at Pebble. That to me, Ron, is mythologically significant of something important in terms of the big time nature of the LPGA event.
5: Yeah, this is huge for women's golf because it's going to bring fresh eyes to the product. There's going to be a lot of people who are going to tune in to watch the Women's U.S. Open just to see Pebble Beach. Yes, And, and they've seen the men play the golf course. They're going to be curious, how are they going to set it up for the women? How are the women going to be able to handle it? And, and, and that's how you grow your product. You, you, you reach beyond your core fan base to those casual sports fans out there who maybe don't watch women's golf, but they're going to tune in this week and they
1: might come back. So this is interesting to me. They had their last major. The women have, I don't know, th- five major, whatever they have. It's different than the men. <laughs> but the last one they played was at Baltus Roll. Baltus has hosted men's major events over a long period of time. This is two in a row at very big deal courses. Do they draw enough on television, in, in the live gate? Do they draw enough? How did they get Pebble and what does that say about the future of women's golf, if anything? Or am I overstating this?
5: No. You know, what the USGA has done, and then more recently, the PGA of America, which took over the LPGA championship and made that the women's uh, PGA championship, which was at Baltus Roll, what they've done is leverage their men's products to get better exposure for the women. You know, uh, the USGA's gone to Pebble Beach and said, You want more U.S. Opens here? We want you to have, and they've got several other women's opens coming here lined up. And the PGA of America has done that by saying, you want a PGA championship, you want a Ryder Cup at your facility, you got to have some women's events there. So both the USGA and the PGA have done a great job of, of, of leveraging their men's products uh, to, to get better exposure for the women's game.
1: I was a sports writer. I had to pay attention to these things. I watched women's tennis get what I think is very close to, if not exactly, equal footing with men's tennis. I watched it over a long period of time. I watched the Women's World Cup in soccer um, dwarf the United States men's soccer effort in the World Cup. I haven't seen that kind of catch-up in women's golf yet. Am I not watching or, or, or am I correct that that, that gulf is wide?
5: You know, the golf is wide, and, and, uh, you know, uh, women were playing for about one-fifth the prize money of uh, PGA Tour players coming into the season, and that's before Live Golf forced the explosion of all this uh, added bonus money, designated events, and all that other money. Look, it's TV revenue that drives the purses for, for, really, for all sports. It drives the salary Mm -hmm. for all sports. It drives it for golf. And the LPGA yet does not have, women's golf doesn't have the same revenue stream from the uh, TV rights that the, that the men do. Now, again, the PGA and the USGA are leveraging their men's events to get TV exposure uh, for the women. And there's going to be a record number of hours on uh, NBC and its other, other networks, USA Network and Peacock, this week from here. That's all great for the women's game. But they got a long way to go to catch up to the men. And this year, because of live, the gap widened.
1: So if I were writing a column still, and I wanted to write a column about women's golf, and somebody asked me or I asked myself, what do they need? I would say they need a superstar. I would point yep. to Nancy Lopez. I would point to Annika Sorenstam, crossover superstars, which gets me to Rose Zhang and Michelle Wee, who seem to be pals And I don't want to overestimate that, but you're on the ground out there and you can tell me about Rose Zhang and Michelle Wee and whether or not she is going to be the superstar they need.
5: Yeah, you know, um, uh, 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 yesterday, uh, Rose's press conference, she was incredibly impressive. Uh, You know, uh, she showed poise, she showed insight, she showed humor, she showed that she's sort of ready to deal with what's going to come her way and uh, there's a lot that Michelle could teach her because Rose is the most ballyhooed rookie in women's golf since Michelle Wee. Now, she's already accomplished more than Michelle Wee did. She won the first woman in 72 years to win her debut event. Then her first major uh, at the at Baltus Baltusrol, she got a top-10 finish in there, so she, this is only her third event as a pro. She's off to a great start. Oh, by the way, she does have the course, women's course record at Pebble Beach. sixty yeah. three She shot in a college match, but... What's interesting, fascinating about this week, Tony, and this would be a great column idea, is, is we're saying hello to Rose at the same event where golf is saying goodbye to Michelle Wee and to Annika uh who are playing together at 8.28 tomorrow morning, going off to 10th tee here, and they're both in the U.S. Women's Open on special exemptions. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, Michelle won at Pinehurst in 2014. Annika has uh, three uh, U.S. Open titles. So at a time when... When we're saying hello to Ms. Rose, we're saying goodbye to those two. And you're also absolutely right. I've always felt the individual sports, tennis, golf, boxing, do better when there's a clear king or queen of the hill that you're trying to knock off. They do better when there's a Muhammad Ali out there or a Tiger Woods out there. And and golf is, uh, is searching for their next Hanukkah Sorenstam, and, and maybe it's going to be Rose.
1: Can we go back on Michelle Wee for a second? My son and I were talking before we went on the air about this. She had great 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 potential but it seemed like it was important to the people around her that she beat men and not beat women and she didn't go out and beat you know she didn't establish herself as somebody who won things i think her career was really short circuited what do you think
5: i think it was one of the great, greatest mismanagements of a sporting career in in the 37 years that i've been uh, that i've been doing this uh, um What Rose Zhang, Michelle would have been better served if when she was 14, 15, 16, if she were winning junior tournaments rather than just trying to make a cut against professional men. You look at Rose, Rose won the 2020 U.S. Women's Amateur, the 2021 U.S. Girls Championship, 2022 NCAA Individual Championship. This was 2023 NCAA and the Augusta National Women's Amateur. She's won at every step along the way. Oh, by the way, she won 12 times at Stanford in two years, breaking the, the record of 11 for career wins at Stanford set by Tiger Woods. So Rose has, has incrementally moved up. She learned to win and dominate every step of the way, the way Tiger Woods did. I, I, I once asked Earl, have you ever attempted to turn Tiger a pro early? And he said, I was never going to do anything to hurt his confidence. My strategy was to build up a mindset of domination. And Michelle Wee was denied that.
1: She was. She was absolutely denied that. And Rose Zhang is Tiger Woods. She is Tiger yes. Woods. There's, I, nobody, just look at what she's won. We are in, in this show partial towards her because she won at columbia country club she won the girls she won the girls after she won the am which is sort of amazing is it not
5: that's never done that's never done usually yeah you win the girls. there's been there've been several women who've won both the girls junior and the women's am but you do it usually you usually win the girls junior first and and and, after she won that women's am in 2020 the next year she was runner up in the women's am so uh she has uh, uh as i said. Cut her teeth by by, and, I, and I'm a big believer in this. There's such a thing as learning how to win. She knows how to close close out golf tournaments.
1: You wrote a story about her, and you said that there were three criteria for the jump yep. up. You want to describe what what you're looking for, why you think she can do it.
5: Yeah, you know, uh, the first thing you need is talent. You got to be good enough to be able to compete at the highest level. The next thing you need is that competitive experience. You do have to t- to learn how to win. But but the, the 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 third thing, and it's really a key thing, particularly with the women, because so many of them turn pro at an earlier age. You know, I've always said women mature before men, and we never catch up to them; they always stay ahead of us. But that maturity Rose has in spades. You know, and she showed that again yesterday at at, at her uh, media availability, and uh, uh, she, she she was she had a poise about her, a, a self-deprecating humor about her. She seemed to me ready for what's going to come. You know, Tiger, Tiger had an amazing ability when he burst on the scene to, beat, to deflect stuff he didn't want to talk about at press conferences, and, and he, knew how to, he knew how to handle that situation. He embraced it. And I'm seeing the same thing in Rose. She's ready for what's going to come.
1: I mean, I'm, it's a stupid thing for me to say, but these are people that went to Stanford. You know, I mean, that they went to the best combination of academics and athletics in the United States of America, right? I mean, Stanford is a great credential.
5: I, you know, and I think, again, going back to the Michelle Wee thing, I think having had at least a couple of years of college golf is hugely important. Because you grow up not only as a competitor in college, you grow up as a person in college. And Michelle ended up getting a degree from Stanford, but she went to Stanford after she was a professional. Yeah. And, and she will tell you, Michelle once told me, the, the accomplishment in my life I'm the proudest of is getting, having a Stanford degree. And for somebody who's, who's, who was a, a, a very successful golfer, that's an amazing thing to say. And I do think that Rose benefited enormously from those two years in college that she was able to grow up uh, as a woman, as a person
1: Thanks for getting up early for us. We'll talk to you later. I uh, uh, appreciate it very much. Thanks, Ron.
5: Always a pleasure, my friend. Talk to you down the
1: road. Ron Cyrek, boys and girls. We'll take a break. We come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser.
0: Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price.
5: You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show.
1: Tony's got Notes from you. (laughs) Andy's got your emails too.
2: Tony gets shoes for free. Well, there's that. So do you, Sean. Andy's got (laughs) Tillamook Ice Cream. Yes. Tony's got a mailbag on the show.
1: Tony's got a mailbag, segment four. Tony gets
2: your emails, but they're not on the screen. Nigel prints them out for Tony to read. Tony's got a
1: mailbag. John Cherry, boys and girls. We miss Sean. We do. gotta get Sean back. In some we love level. Sean. Well, I think we're going to see Sean because of the ceiling. Oh yeah, the ceiling has not gotten worse. No. And then when I head to the U.S. Open, we'll get him back. Yeah, that would be great. Not the worst ceiling. Uh, But close. some ceilings worse, but (laughs) I guess we can say that that's good for us. Uh, You want to do the Bethesda bagel Bethesda bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in, and you will be thrilled. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say I'm pleased and happy to repeat the news that we have, in fact, caught and killed a large predator that supposedly injured some bathers. But as you can see, it's a beautiful day. The beaches are open and people are having a wonderful time. Amity, as you know, means friendship. That's Mayor Larry Vaughn talking (laughs) in Jaws. Um, If you want to make a list, and everybody makes these lists, of the top 5, 10, 15, 20 lines that have come out of any movie of all time. I mean, for me... One of them, of course, is, well, I certainly hope you'll die soon from broadcast news. <laughs> yes. But on anybody's list, on everybody's list is, I think we're going to need a bigger boat. I mean, come on. Which, that's I believe that was an improv line that was not in the script. By is that Roy right? Roy Scheider. Yes. I think we're going to need a bigger boat. It's a brilliant line. It's just. Yeah. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Thanks to our guests today, Jeff Passan and Ron Syrak. This was a good show. Early summer show. Not much going on. Good show. Thanks to our sponsors, MeUndies and Rocket Money. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. Get the show through Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. From Patrick Smith in Annandale, Virginia. Wait, Tony just flushed the dead mouse down the toilet? (laughs) Why didn't he hang the dead mouse corpse on a rope from the ceiling as a warning to all the other mice? That's how you do it. From Scott Gurney in East Selkirk, Manitoba, right beside Saskatchewan. My sympathies on the mouse incident. The outcome was unfortunate, but necessary. I do have a couple of questions, though. When you said, Mr. Mouse, it's time to go, did you mean that in the existential existential sense? (laughs) And two, hokas or New Balance? New Balance. (laughs) New Balance. From Dan Butarazzi, I hope I pronounced that correctly. In Virginia Beach, Virginia. Did you think of giving the mouse the Barry Manilow treatment and tell it to get out of the state? (laughs) Perhaps you could have had Nigel drive it to the border. So great that people remember that story when I used to write. From Kenny Ray in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. First and foremost rule for killing mice: leave the shoe, take the cannoli. Right. Yeah, solid wisdom. From Dan Stana or Stana in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. We can now update your stats: buried five dogs and flushed one mouse. <laughs> Um, from Jason in Rockville, Maryland, Mr. Tony, the stripper making change in a bank story is so great. Larry David is going to want that for sure. 100%. You think? Oh, yeah, it's got to be on code. It's just, I, I can't <laughs> tell you how many people at Columbia have come up to me because they listen, you know, I don't even know they listen. They listen, they go stripper, Who's <laughs> stripper I said, yeah. from Peter Jennings, not that Peter Jennings. I thoroughly enjoyed the opening of the show last Friday and not just your financial transaction with a male stripper. I was fascinated by your actually entering a bank to get changed for a hundred dollar bill. It's just so perfect. And immediately recalled our late dad doing the same thing many times with similar results. Juxtapose that brilliant discussion with your trepidation regarding the Qatar Sovereign Wealth Fund buying your once-beloved local professional franchises worth many billions and billions. Silver lining may be that I bet the local branch of the Qatar National Bank will gladly make change for your big bills, account or no account. Thank you for the wonderful entertainment. It's gold, Jerry. It's gold. Um, We have a haiku for Dominic Smith. Mm. From Shad. whether you need him or not every single day he is at first base he's <laughs> at first, every game every single is game four homers and 18 rbi from i think it may be 19 19? rbi it's half the season it's more <laughs> everyone knows he comes alive in the second half that's true john yeah. in herndon i was listening to you talk about the Nats on the monday podcast you said they aren't terrible the Nats are one and a half power power hitters away from being okay I have no idea how you get half a power hitter. From everything you've said this season, isn't Dominic Smith (laughs) that half a power hitter, or is he only one quarter of a power hitter? Maybe one quarter. Uh, From Brian Becker or Betcher in Derry, New Hampshire, episode 83, that must be Chuck and Roxy. Humble brag. To the games of July 2nd, here is a comparison of Mr. Tony's favorite power hitter stats compared to a future Hall of Fame pitcher's batting stats. Dominic Smith, 2023. 295 at-bats, four home runs, 19 RBI. 19. Zach Granke, career, 297 at-bats, five home runs, <laughs> 23 RBI. Now, Granke can't pitch anymore. He's no. now 1-9 this season. Yeah. He can't pitch. He's a better hitter than Dominic <laughs> Smith. And Brian says, unlike this podcast, Dominic Smith truly does stink. I don't want to be too hard on him, but... Come on, you're playing first base from Jamoke Davis. I'll be vacationing in Rehoboth this week. Thanks to you, I will be sure to stop at every stop sign with a full stop <laughs> and make sure to use as little water as possible, as to not incur an exorbitant water bill for our gracious hosts. From Todd Naftal, first time, long time. I'm in Hawaii this week and I stumbled across the Aloha Tower. See attached photo. Yeah, it's a giant building. It's not the restaurant that Charlie yeah. Steiner. See if you can. Charlie still got. And I know Charlie listens. (laughs) Charlie's got, and he's more than a year now, I believe. Charlie's got the calendar. Can I just take a second to thank Charlie for the recommendation of the Lee Michaels song? Heidi Ho. Heidi Ho. Yeah, love it. Thank you, Charlie. Um, Is this the tower you've referenced in the past? I was there for a luau and tried to find a souvenir shop but most of the complex has been taken over by the prestigious Hawaii Pacific University. There's surely a candidate for the Pac-12, and I was hoping their admission will bring some validity to an otherwise invalid conference, but I really don't care either way. Also, I tried calling News Channel 8 to get confirmation on the tower for either you, Michael, or Nigel. The receptionist hung up on me, hung up on me three times, and on the fourth attempt, she told me she would call the police if I call again. Well, I think you have a staffing issue there. <laughs> Traffic in Honolulu is brutal and it just started to rain. Please tell Michael. <laughs> and from Sam in Richmond. Shares of Oatly up 17% over the last week. Keep yapping, Grandpa. <laughs> Look, Oatly's terrible. I also found another ice cream that's terrible. I went to buy ice cream to try another ice cream. Mm-hmm. And I saw something called Nick's. Nicks. And Nick's is a Swedish ice cream. Is it a tub or a small carton? It's a, it's a, t- a small you know, like the same size as Ben and Jerry's. Okay, so that that's usu- the pint size usually indicates quality. Okay. I wrote a triple chocolate is what I got because the other the other flavors didn't interest me at all. Right. I opened it last night. It's awful, awful. It's awful, and yet it's from Sweden. And yet, and yet, you will finish the entire. I will straight at the bottom. I will force myself to finish it. It's awful. <laughs> I'm buying awful ice cream. Yeah, we gotta I work on that. I I gotta try something new. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone as always do wear white.
2: You so love <laughs>